This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me once again, a friend of the show, a frequent visitor, and also a puppy, um, but a frequent visitor of the show, Mr. Garth Franklin. Say hello, Garth. Hello. If you know Garth, you know him from Dark Horizons. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know where to find him at Dark Horizons on the Twitters or just darkhorizons.com for his amazing trailblazing um, Australian and international movie news website. Very objective and very cool. Um, but Garth is back joining us again. Thank you, sir. We are at the precipice of the 40th minute of the Michael Mann 1995 crime epic Heat. And this is a minute where we see, we've just seen the first reaction that Neil McCauley's Robert De Niro has to Val Kilmer arriving. Uh, Val Kilmer sleeping on his floor is to not interact with him it's actually to call his wife and to say chris is at my place what's going on and uh we would have discussed as we've discussed she gives him the explanation husband and wife stuff and he says i'll let him sleep it off and starts coming in to have a coffee with him which is where we are at the 40th minute garth has wanted to talk about this minute and what we will also talk about if you may see it we've definitely talked about the previous episode Val Kilmer has a disgusting, gross uh, lump on his elbow for some reason. Looks like he's dislocated his elbow, possibly in the preparation for this movie, Um, but it's not meant to be part of the character, but it is in fact here anyway. So we're here and we're in Neil's beautiful apartment. (coughs) Excuse me, we've seen it before, but we're in daytime now. Garth, will we watch this minute and then unpack it for everyone? Sounds good. Let's Something else on the side? Nothing regular. She got something else on the side? No. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know what you're doing. Remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard used to say you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. Remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard? It's a bit bad dubbing, but (laughs) if you watch the film, remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard? No attachments. This is the line. This is the line that goes the whole movie. This is the movie, right? This is right here. So we are right here. Pacino. uh, uh, Sorry, De Niro, rather. God, I'm infected with that. 
De Niro and Kilmer talking through here. And also a little bit of highlighting of a disgusting elbow injury that maybe you may have not noticed before, but I guarantee you, once you see it, you will see it again and again. I actually read it on an IMDb thread, and then Henry Nixon, in a forthcoming episode, pointed it out to me. Australian actor Henry Nixon talked about Val Kilmer's disgusting <laughs> elbow injury. The trouble is, you're looking at that, you're looking at that beautiful sort of windows and skyline and balcony out the front. The, the architecture of this place is just so beautiful. Then you have that ugly elbow coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's um, it's an interesting, such an interesting scene because it literally starts at the the very first line that you see in this minute, and it's it's kind of again one of those scenes that we've dissected right down the middle in the middle of a question, and we actually land on the answer and. It's, when are you going to get some furniture? Because mm. Val Kilmer's Christian Hillis has been sleeping on his floor. And Neil answers, when I get around to it. <laughs> and uh, and that's the first like, question. Well, like much of it's up in life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such an interesting insight. And we've seen his home before. Yes. And it was, he, night. It was, always, it was a night. It was it framed was. at night, and it's a very hyper stylized scene in fact it's actually mm. based off of an Alex Colville painting have you okay. seen the Alex Colville yeah. painting okay what I'm going to do for folks at home I'm going to grab a book I'm going to show Garth okay. the Alex Colville Ooh, painting show and tell this is fun this is show and tell <laughs> show, heat show and tell um, for Garth to see the Alex Colville painting which this scene is based off of ah okay so it, the painting was painted in 1967 it's called Pacific yeah you had a little squiz right here yeah. Um, in that previous scene is an yeah. Alex Colville painting. So at that, painting, to- yeah. at that time, you don't actually see anything in his apartment. Um, yeah. We do have a puppy um, as a special guest right now. This is uh, Bessie, you may hear uh, in, in the corner. Um, um, <laughs> hello, Bessie. Um, and, uh, but no, Alex Colville's painting inspired that moment. And in that moment, you only see a, a, the tiniest piece of Neil's apartment. The fr- you, well, you see the frame of the window, the table, or the gun. That's it. That's about it. That's it. So yeah. you basically see everything that you would see in the Alex Cobble painting. Now we actually open it up. Mm. He has... I'm surprised he even has two coffee cups. He's got <laughs> a plate, a cup, maybe a glass or two. Well, it's, it's a house that almost looks like a basically one of those houses that you have real estate people show off. Yeah. Like, there's no signs of anyone actually living here. No. <laughs> on a more permanent sort of basis. No signs um, of humanity. No, it's just... No. It's, a display, it's a glorified display home. Mm. But this is a guy who lives his entire life here... And he's so, he keeps this discipline so incredibly that he, he he's completely absent. Well, it speaks to his basically mindset and his whole mannerisms. The entire the entire conversation across this minute, and up lead up through here, everything about him is meticulously detailed and planned down to the last letter. He has very little spontaneity of any kind. And no waste also. So when you think about like a home, you furnish it with things that... Mementos, you know, yeah. Yeah, mementos and, and, and history and time. Things that have an emotional attachment. And this is someone who's very deliberately <laughs> has, keeps out of emotional attachment, which is what leads to the main conversation of the movie. Yeah, and so the emotional attachment is so little here. There's, not a, there's no pictures on the wall, but you've got unfurnished hooks on the walls. Mm. And you've got this white, this white background, so clinical, we see... Mm glass you know it's glacial it's blue an empty balcony the beautiful waterfront there and the whiteness and and just steel (laughs) and uh and you've got Val Kilmer sitting there and this is you know if we're looking at 39 minutes 14 seconds this is where you actually see what is and a contrast then with the appearance of the two of them he's there's Macaulay it's a morning 
like sort of relaxed morning. They're not really on any sort of clock, but he's still in his meticulous, like nicely done suit and all buttoned up and all. Yeah, he's buttoned all up. All well coiffed. There's Kilmer who's looking like about to be a train wreck. Here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've seen Chris previously wearing those exact same clothes, yeah. streaming out of his driveway in frustration with his wife, Charlene. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he has tattoos. You know, Macaulay seems like the kind of guy who has no tattoos whatsoever. No tattoos. He would never do anything like that sort of. And, and yeah, no identifying marks. Mm. You know, Chris has got tattoos. We see him there in his shirt. He looks like he's been drinking all night and barely slept. And he's also in his friend's house and not gone home to his wife and child so you know the levels of impulse and irresponsibility and frustration here you can see it all like it's it's all over his entire character and Mm -hmm. and his hair it's just messy it's unkempt at this moment and so he's having this coffee and even the way he's holding himself so neil is very you know he's very calculating he's got his arm resting on his chair and and you can see in just even this freeze frame that Kilmer's Chris is like staring into his coffee mug looking for wisdom or looking yeah. for something. Else. A little bit despondent. And, and he's, and he's yeah. a bit ashamed of what's yeah. happening here. So Neil's trying to get out of him. He's leaning forward. He's very comfortable mm. and confident in his home. And Chris is sort of looking down, barely registering eye contact with but him. The whole thing with this conversation, what I love with this whole conversation especially, is you sit multiple times in this movie with the Nero's character where it's all about... he's Yes, he's offering the kindness to his friend and all that sort of stuff, but at the same time... That you can very visibly see him calculating how much is this risk to me? How much is this going to affect our jobs in the future? How much is this, you know, well, I have to calculate this risk and see what the thing. The whole point of him going and challenging the wife come a bit later on is him making sure that things don't stuff up on the next job <laughs> so that the cops don't come and get involved. Yeah, exactly. And so what's great is that what we've missed in the previous minute, but what we've covered in the previous minute, we missed to talk about it with Garth is. You know, he's calling his wife first before the conversation's happening yeah. to sort of get a bit of context about why he's here. Mm. And you wonder how much of that is actually is real, genuine care for the friend and how much of that is, is care about the operation not being fucked up. Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's declaring in a way, he's standing there and he's declaring, you know, uh, uh, he's, he's declaring his intentions mm. with the future of the rest of the crew, but then also Kilmer's Chris is asking him, when are you going to get an old lady? Like, when can I comfort you? And like, the, <laughs> the question is, it's such a deflection. It's so funny. It's actually yeah. funny, like, and, and suitable to laugh at because you're like, when are you getting an old lady? What do you mean? An old lady that's going to stop you from crashing, like breaking into my house and sleeping on my floor? <laughs> like, like, what's the question? The question is, when are you going to get, you know, when are you getting an old lady? And, when I get around to it, like yeah. everything's about when I can get around to it yeah. when it's, when it's pertinent. And what's great about this conversation is, is just the framing. So let's yeah. talk about like Spinotti here. Mm. You're looking here and what's great is the granular focus is on De Niro. It's yeah. all about. Your eyes are drawn to De Niro. He's on the right hand side of the frame where it's like, it's a mid, mid shot. And then you have Kilmer on the left hand side, but it's just way close up. It's just hair essentially. And, he, and he's a blur. He's the yeah. blonde blur. And when you look at Kilmer, everything feels, you know, there's a lot of order in that shot. There's a lot mm. of white pylons, white columns, and his ruffled whiteness yeah. and his blonde hair, he's this crumpled, you know, disorganized mess and mass in it, the middle it of the It was immaculate scene. Yeah. yeah. And then so, and what's great is the contrast then when you go to De Niro, it's clinical, it's organized, his mm. suit's there, yep. and then the sublime of the ocean. So you're getting this motif with Neil's character is... The ocean is a representative of something that's kind of omnipresent in this character. Even though he has this facade, even though he's there, there's something, there's like a temptation that he, he's yearning for something, even though he's contained. 
I don't know if it's he's yearning for something. That's good. That's a good point. Okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, usually with a, anyone that sort of who has that, uh, I wouldn't say high strung, but certainly very, very, very controlled life and all that sort of stuff. One thing that Ocean is very good, especially with the white noise generation from that sort of stuff, is yes. it's very soothing. Uh, for him, for someone like him, this is probably the close, this one, having a, this is like an immaculate, beautiful house and the, the sort of the cool ocean would be actually very relaxing kind of thing. It's one of the few ways he... Even though he doesn't like to admit it, he, <laughs> the stress does come into these sort of jobs. And that's his quiet place? Yeah, that's his quiet Instead place. Instead of the white noise of two stupid people on TV arguing on no. CNN from two poli- political some people, sides. You know, for some people, the relationships, uh, that is their salvation. They need the other person to validate themselves and all that sort of stuff. But for other people, if they just they need the alone time. For him, it's obviously an alone time. He needs that quiet and that sort of... Yeah. I think uh, one of the things I see in the, as a motif in Michael Mann's entire oeuvre is mm. men... Who are professionals who are on the edge like really high strung jobs who mm. often look to the ocean they often look to the sublime mm. it started in thief you know you well, it seems like something that's bigger than them it's something yeah. that sort of yeah it's something bigger than them you see it in thief it moves on through manhunter it's in heat very mm. specifically in the alex colville painting is a key inspiration but then later on you see it in miami vice and you see it with crockett yeah, with, with crockett, colin, yeah, colin farrell scene, yeah. where he's Looking out to the ocean, yeah. yearning for something, and I yeah. and I and I see that same yearning here. Yeah. Maybe it's not present in this scene, but I just love the contrast. It's almost like this subliminal reminder, even though there's such a great focus. The light is so perfectly on Neil's uh, um, uh, precision, and then also contrasted with Val's messiness, right? Yeah. Um, um, or Chris's messiness, Val Kilmer's character. Um, but I love that there's a little bit of a hint of in the background, even though he's so calculating and clinical, there's something else happening there. Mm. And so Kilmer has got the order contrasted with the messiness of his character, and Neil has got this precision. And this line, you know, remember with Jimmy McElwain on the yard, this is a guy who man admits talks about he grew up in a gladiator academy like Chino in LA. Mm. He was a young man who didn't know much about crime and then got taught how to be a criminal, uh, mm. about how to be a career criminal. And now he's out. He is very proficient. It's interesting you mentioned before with the Crockett thing. Uh, I guess the obvious difference there with the thing is with Crockett, of course, right from the beginning <laughs> of Miami Vice, is a character who seems to have lost something. He's like, mm. there's obviously a drive or something that's missing in his life and he's really searching for it. With him, with Macaulay, there's no such thing as that. No. He doesn't feel like he's absent to anything. It's only when he actually even starts the relationship with Edie that it feels like he's suddenly aware that there is been something. Yeah. <laughs> and right now at the 40th minute, mm. we've, he's already, he's had an interaction with Edie. And so we've actually seen mm. that facade come down a little bit and him yeah. soften from his clinical precision to have a little warmth, which is, oh, I can have human interactions and this is what it feels like. So what's interesting about this moment is that Chris has turned up to Neil's house. He hasn't been there. Mm. The reason he wasn't there is he's at Edie's place. Yeah. And so we see him turn up here now but, and, and that's where he And is. then you have the conversation just before this moment. We're at about the what, 45 second mark or so, which is the cheating conversation, yes. which is an interesting one. And that Macaulay actually seems to have a very old-fashioned sense of, you know, this is, what, this is how men are friends and they keep an eye on <laughs> on their other mates, sort of thing like that. Yes, it's kind of old. Yeah, it's so he asks. He's the one that goes. She's having an affair, but then, of course the husband no. But but also he asks straight away yeah. if, if if the um if the instigation of them having discomfort in the family or him yeah. sleeping on the floor is are you seeing anyone on the yeah. side? Yeah, like is there and and with Chris is like is anything regular? And he's like no, nothing regular. And mm. so there's that immediate yeah. trust. But as soon as he goes, no, Charlene would never do it. 
you sort of see this awareness <laughs> wash over Neil's face, mm-hmm. like you're oblivious. Yeah. If you're sleeping on my floor, there's a bigger problem. <laughs> and so that's what's great about here is that we actually don't. But, get he, to... he, but he's also aware that Kilmer has like too much pride to be <laughs> way too much pride. Admit that's any sort of insecurity. Yeah. There's a theory that Kilmer's character's gay. Do you prescribe no. to that? No. 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 In interesting, I get, the, I get the I get the idea because Kilmer is as we said in one of the previous ones. Kilmer is sort of the wild card character. Yes, he's the unpredictable one, and there's a certainly a certain amount of self loathing. Yes, um, whether that's you know transcribed to the sexuality thing, no, no. That is, it was just interesting in a conversation with Joe Lynch in an earlier episode. He talked about potentially there was like a motivation that maybe he was a gay character or you know he, something like that. He he was a guy who was sort of put in this really rigid structure but at the same time he was rebelling against it and part of that was a, a sexuality he's certainly rebelling against that structure but that's what all of man's work is I don't think that's a lot of it has to do with sexuality I think in m- most cases his the whole point of this movie is men who do not fit that I've got to get the one partner for the rest of my life and you know the job is a side thing and balancing all that whole thing they don't, none of them fit that. And they all struggle to try and fit that. They're, try, they're yeah. all desperately trying to why, fit that. And the thing is, Macaulay sort of asks the obvious question in that sort of case, which is, why? Why are you struggling to do this? Yeah. I'm letting my life the anyway. <laughs> yeah. Sort of thing. And the great line, you know, remember what Jimmy McElwain said in the yard, you know, leave no attachment, leave mm-hmm. nothing you can't drop in 10 seconds if you feel the heat around the corner. Mm-hmm. And so we hear the line, the sort of... Which is essentially his old character's... Yeah, his character, modus operandi, the ethos of the character, whatever you want to call it, it's it's the eponymous title of the film. When you feel the heat around the corner, um, you've got to drop everything and run. Mm. And 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 anything that is life, anything that's normal, you know. I think later on, one of the great lines is that regular type life. Is that your life? When he's challenging (laughs) De Niro's, uh, Patina's Hannah. Um, it's, it's that, it's that whole moment. And as we end, like there's this frame on the 40th, like the 40th, the the 40th minute ends with him with this knowing. And actually I think there's one more line, which he says, remember that? Like he's trying to get through to Chris, like your life, you are, you've, you're obviously deeply unhappy in your life. You're trying to do something. Why? So why are you sticking with it? Yes. <laughs> and Chris yeah. then will, in the next minute, we'll talk about, you know, the reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> and so we get to Chris's motivation because really, you know, the three guys on the poster, so to speak, Chris is that third prong and mm. his story with Charlene is so fascinating and they're such interesting and different characters to Neil and, and to, and to Vincent. Um, but I just love that knowing and the contrast of these two guys and they're so different, but they fit. So they complement one another so greatly. That's mm. what I love about Heat is that at no point... Well, that's why, but you see that with personalities with friends. People, you know, someone who's very tightly wound will end up, will usually be friends. Someone who's like <laughs> completely ill at the moment. <laughs> chill, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hi- highly strong, very chill. Mm. But yeah, there's that great complementary factor, but also one of the tricks... I don't want to. I don't know if I call it a trick, but one of the devices and one of the things I love in Heat is that man gets people to play, like or or makes you think, oh God, they've in their personal life they can make mistakes, they're mm-hmm. flawed, they've got these insecurities, they've got these 
strange rituals that they have to upkeep and they and they've got these philosophies which we know at this moment as he's talking about it he's kind of corrupted right he's mm-hmm. he's gone with edium he's planted the seed of you know finding solace and 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 he's lonely you know even though he says i'm alone and i'm not lonely he's clearly lonely it's to it to a certain degree macaulay macaulay <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think it is I, I think the moment that he looks out into that ocean there's yearning for something I don't know whether it's partnership or companionship or what I don't know yeah there's, I, I don't know if, as I said I don't think the yearning in this one is as strong as it is say in vice yeah in vice in vice is. there's an obvious like, it's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah that's pretty definitely. obvious I don't think that's the case here this is a case of someone who's never really had that sort of yearning he seems to have his life perfectly in the order of he, he wants it and with Edie coming in, it kind of just, it throws a spanner in the works because it's more a case of, is this what I wanted? Maybe, oh, so you think not. it's more of an, inquisi- in, yeah. an inquisition, which yeah. is... Yeah, it's not so much a case of like something... It's not certain, it's an inquisition. Yeah, it's more oh, like, that's interesting, right? Oh, okay. Well, so that's, maybe this is what I'm after. I don't know. Yeah, maybe... And this is what I love about this podcast, right? So you've got this... In my mind, I feel like Neil's yearning. Like he feels... It's his his life's in such an order that he's wondering why he's why there's something there and why there's an agitation and then Edie comes along and he's like maybe that's why there's an itch mm. and so with Garth it's more of like no it's a question it's like Edie's an interesting uh, an interesting character and an interesting well, yeah but it's more a case of like you said is like you think he had that itch all the time and this this is just galvanized it mm. whereas in my case I think he didn't really even realize he had an itch until this one and now it's like he's beginning to get the first scratching yeah <laughs> no no I know I actually no I think we're closer than you think is mm. I think that when he walks back after that heist mm. and he's in that room mm. um I think there is that the first itch but it's like that first oh, yeah. time yeah. that he walks out and he looks out he's like in this moment I'm looking out and I'm taking in the ocean and I feel like there's that first inkling of I'm dissatisfied with this moment. Yeah, probably the first time, one of the first times he feels dissatisfied with the job. And there's the obvious thing. And also after been... the Wangrove piece, right? Yeah, Because we've yeah. seen him fail and not fail, catch yeah. Wangrove. Well, that's, well, that's also from frustration and stuff. But we've also got the impression from his conversation with John Boyd really in the film that basically he's sort of getting out of this. And he yes. still hasn't really found what he's going to move on to next. Yes. And so it's, yeah... Interesting. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we've left you with the eponymous line, the mm. line of the film, and and contending with two guys at the top of their game, De Niro and Kilmer, and also pointed out a disgusting elbow injury that mm. no one has ever noticed before. So I hope you enjoy <laughs> it. Um, but um, I have been Blake Howard, your host, as always. Garth Franklin, thank you so much for joining us again. He was a huge help with signing our website. So thank you in person, because I often thank you at the end of the podcast. So thank you in person, <laughs> sir, for your help. Um, thank you so much, guys. If you love One Heat Minute and you love heat, please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast application for this. Um, you can check out Garth's stuff at, at Dark Horizons on Twitter or DarkHorizons.com for all of his movie news and reviews and features. You can thank Bessie for her brief uh, whimpers into the microphone throughout the podcast um, but you can find me at Blake is Batman or oneheatminute.com has everything you can subscribe you can go back to past things um, and you can check out past episodes and also see our entire suite of uh, things and subscriptions and if you want to mail us if you see a cool article a cool review a cool take on heat that maybe we haven't talked about mail at oneheatminute.com you can check that out as well thank you to Paul Davies for our music but thank you guys most for listening I've been Blake Howard thank you Garth Franklin once again thank you and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode